When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This is Playing Around with Paige Renee. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Playing Around. I'm your host, Paige Renee, and I'm doing another solo episode this week. You guys seem to be loving them, which makes me very happy, Uh, but I'm exhausted. (laughs) I have had such a busy week. I'm barely functioning right now. haven't had any sleep, but working on some really exciting things, and I can't wait to tell you all about my time in San Diego at Torrey Pines, and we'll get into all of that in a little bit. I can't wait to talk about the U.S. Open because it was a wild tournament. So much was going on, and it was really cool to be there at the venue for the first time ever. So I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but I do want to get into something right now. And I have to admit that I had a bad take a while ago regarding Naomi Osaka. When she declined interviews at the French Open, we recorded that episode right before she came out with her statement and withdrew from the tournament. And our discussion was only based off of her first original statement of not wanting to do it. And this was before she came out really talking about her mental health. And she has also since then decided to withdraw from her next tournament, Wimbledon. And so she's only going to be playing, the next time she'll be playing will be in Tokyo for the Olympics. I... I feel really bad about what I said because I think I was a little harsh on her. And as an advocate for mental health, I didn't, it's not that I didn't believe her. I guess I just didn't understand everything. And I was thinking about my own personal experiences and how it affected my my mental health. And I was able to overcome that. And sometimes I struggle mostly with social anxiety and it's very stressful in the beginning for me. And once I push myself through it, I'm actually really happy that I did it in the end. And I have to remember that all of us struggle differently and different things affect us. And maybe press conferences weren't that mentally draining on me or didn't cause me that much stress or anxiety. Well, they did, but not as much as some other things in my life. But that might not be true for Naomi. And she is being really brave to stand up for herself right now and to say, you know what? I need some personal time with my friends and my family, and this is what's best for me. 
I think more athletes, celebrities, really anyone at all, doesn't matter if you're famous or not famous, should feel like they're able to do that. We are all going through something. We all have different stresses in our life, things that give us anxiety, depression, whatever it may be. And I should have been more sensitive to Naomi. I'm very sorry if that hurt anyone who was listening to this episode and that it sounded insensitive or that I was belittling her mental health or even your mental health if you were agreeing with her because you you were right and I was wrong. And for that, I am sorry. I think sometimes on this podcast, I try, I don't actively try to be controversial, but when I have a take, I like to really lean into it. And I, and at that moment, when I was talking about her and the situation, I fully believed in what I was saying, but I didn't have all of the facts and that's okay. I think sometimes when we say something and we believe it, and then we have time to reflect on why we said it or why we're changing our minds and grow and you grow from that experience. I think that's actually really healthy. I don't like how in society now, either when it comes to like cancel cancel culture or something that you've said in the past, how it's always held against you. You're allowed to grow and say stupid things at times. And it's fine to change and to change your opinion and to change your views on something with a different perspective. I think that's normal, that's healthy, and that's great. So again, as an advocate for mental health, that was on me. That that was not, that wasn't good. I take full responsibility for that. No one forced me to apologize for this. It was just something that was eating away at me because again, I've been in plenty of situations in my life. And even now when I talk about mental health and people say that I'm either making it up, I'm playing the victim, I don't know what I'm talking about. And it's hurtful because they don't know everything that I have been through and I wish I could show them or explain it to them, but I can't. And I just have to hope that they can trust me. And I didn't trust Naomi enough or I didn't. I don't really know why I didn't because I'm always for someone talking about their mental health. And I should have I should have done that. And like I said, that's that's on me and I should have been better. And I hope that this is showing everyone that you can make yourself a priority. I think that's really important. You need to take time for yourself. And even if it might be a very difficult decision, and even though it might be a very difficult decision, you have to make yourself a priority. At some point, you have to be a little bit selfish and think about your own well-being and what truly makes you happy. I feel like I'm struggling a little bit with that in my life right now. I tend to be a yes person where if you ask me to do anything, I will always say yes to it. It is so hard for me to say no. And this could have potentially happened with Naomi with all of her sponsors and all the pressure on her that she felt like she could never say no. And so she was putting everyone else before her. And again, that's not okay. And that's something that I'm really trying to balance now with my work life. I love the career path that I'm on. And I feel like I have grown so much in the last couple years, especially in the last two years with the growth of my career. But with the growth comes more work, a lot more work, more travel, more responsibility, more time put into everything that you're doing. And it's challenging at times because before when I didn't have as much I had days where I could just relax and not do anything and hang out with family and friends. But now with my career starting to progress more, I don't have that anymore. I don't have days off. I don't have time to myself. And I love working. It really, truly makes me happy. But I think sometimes people forget when it comes to the job that I do with digital media, I don't have a set clock in, clock out time. I am constantly on my phone, whether it's responding back to people, creating content, 
thinking about the next thing I want to post. And that's just, you know, my, my personal content. On top of that, I have all of my partners that I work with that I am, again, coming up with content for them, thinking of new ideas, shooting content in advance, um, editing videos, trying to get everything done for them. And then always with, with points bet too, uh, it's, there's a challenge with that is because there's always a big sporting event and they happen at different times of the day. And so if something is happening really late at night, I need to be prepared and ready to talk about it or to do something with it. And so uh, there are days where I could be working until midnight or trying to get things done. There's a lot of like last minute stuff. And again, I love it. I love what I do. But this year has been new for me in the sense that I have been so much more busy than before with new things. And so I'm challenging myself. And there are definitely days where I'm like, okay, I should probably step back and relax and (laughs) have some time to myself. And I feel like some people get really energized by social outings if they're I'm very introverted, so if you're extroverted, people tend they say that you actually get more energy and it uh, charges you up and you feel better and more energized after you're with people. I'm the exact opposite. I feel my battery running low when I have to do so many different things and I'm constantly, you know, talking to people. And even though what I a lot of what I do is online, still doing lives and YouTube videos, even the podcast, talking for such a long time, it's really draining for me. And so I'm really having to find like a work life, personal life balance. And I wonder if any of you guys have ever struggled with that, truly finding a balance. Because it's hard because it's not like I want to work less because I love what I do and it makes me happy. But it's like, how long can you keep it up? Or you know, is it good to always say yes to everything? And I always want to do a good job too. And that's, you know, it's always hard to balance everything that you do in life. And so that's, uh, I guess that's a little bit of an update. But again, that goes back to Naomi. And I'm sure she, I can't even imagine how many obligations she must have. She's probably being pulled in so many different directions. And I made a comment where I said it's odd that she is accepting certain media shoots and interviews and whatever it may be. She's getting all of these opportunities. And I was like, well, if she's saying yes to that, she can definitely do a press conference. And that was so ignorant of me to say because it might not even be her own personal decision. She could be her agency or, you know, the people in her group could be telling her this is a great opportunity. You have to take it. And at times... Even in my own work life, I want to say, you know, maybe I don't. But then when everyone's telling you you should and that it's good for you, you almost feel guilty for not taking it. So I'm sure she potentially could have felt that way and just being so overwhelmed. I think of what these massive celebrities deal with and it's insane. It is truly, truly insane. They just don't live normal lives. But it, it doesn't mean that We are also, us normal people aren't dealing with it as well too. And so again, the lesson here that I'm trying to get across is make yourself a priority. Regardless of what anyone says, regardless of what anyone says, if you feel like your batteries are low, you're not feeling your best, you're unhappy, something's off with you, take time for yourself. Regardless of what anyone else says, Be selfish at times. I know people say that's not a good thing, but you do have to be selfish at times. You have to say no, and you have to think about yourself, and you'll be better off in the long run doing that, and that's what I learned here with the Naomi situation is that, one, you can't judge anyone for what they're going through. You should always give them the benefit of the doubt, and she should be congratulated and supported and encouraged by her decisions because it is truly incredible what she's doing to stand up for herself and to do that because that's very, very difficult as I know and as you probably know as well. So that is what I want to talk about. And (laughs) um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, it's going to be US Open Talk. (laughs) 
at JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes. And Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all, even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Tired of pickup truck bed chaos? Meet Decked, game-changing USA-made full bed-length drawers for tools and gear. Waterproof, dustproof, lockable, secure. Whether you're working, hunting, fishing, camping, or just getting out of town. And introducing Decked Deco cases. Tough, modular, problem-solving cases built for the truck, job site, campsite, or garage. Say goodbye to random bins and tie-downs. Order now at Decked.com slash iHeart for free shipping. Decked, your truck, your rules. Decked.com forward slash iHeart. are back and I'm so excited to talk about the U.S. Open and tell you guys all about it. It was so much fun. In the last episode, I told you that the USGA credentialed us and it was the first time I have had a official media credential, which was so cool. It I felt special. <laughs> it was the first time in my career where I was like, I felt important and like I had a purpose when I was working at a tournament, which was so much fun. I've done it before. I've done media work for other companies and PGA Tour, but I got like a fancy badge. And for some reason, like that badge made it seem more official to me, which is so stupid because I've done some really cool events in the past. And but there again, there was just something that was so cool about, you know, having your face on your lanyard and, you know, people like looking at and thinking you're like cool because you're doing media at the U.S. Open. Um, The small little victories in life, people, (laughs) it's the small victories. Uh, That was that was really, really cool. I want to thank the USGA for allowing points bets, points bet team to be there. It's weird because with sports betting, it is still new in the sports world where it's getting legalized in more states. But there are challenges when it comes to doing media at tournaments around sports betting. So I I took over the points bet Instagram account on Thursday. So I was there Monday through Thursday, Tuesday and Wednesday, I was working for another partner of mine and we shot some really awesome content and I can't wait for you guys to see that. But on Monday, we went through the process of getting credentialed, which again, it just felt so, everything just felt so official and we were on the grounds and Monday was really cool because there was no one there. It was just the players and then everyone else who was credentialed. And there there weren't that many uh, this year. Well, I don't know. I've never been to them. But it didn't feel uh, like there was a ton of people there when we were there. I shot the range, which is our betting show for points bet with Teddy on the range at Torrey Pines, which was really cool. So you could see all the players in the, the background. And then we just walked around a little bit. And no one on the golf course. 
it was just you and the players. And it was such a cool experience because you could get, you know, pretty up close and personal with the players and watch them. And there was no one else around. You just felt like you had the whole course to yourself. Again, so cool. The rough. Okay, guys, the rough on that golf course was thick, like thick. If you watch that me or the videos, like thicker than a bowl of oatmeal and the guy points over, that's what it felt like. It was thick, rough. I put my hand in the rough and it, it went past my wrist a little up to my forearm. That's how thick and deep the rough was. It was incredible. Also, the course looked vastly different than when I have seen it, even for the farmers or public play. I don't think, I've talked about this so many times, but I keep wanting to stress it because it's still shocking to me how different they can make a golf course based off of the conditions. So they bring the the rough in, the fairways in, the rough up, the greens are hard, um, they're firm, they're fast. Everything, the pin locations are different. They move the tee box backs. Everything about that golf course is completely different than when I played it. I shot like five under when I played it, and I probably wouldn't break 90 or 100 on those course conditions from the same tees that I played before. From the tips, gosh, I, I definitely wouldn't break 100. But I always hear these guys saying, oh, I shot 72 there when I played on Sunday in my men's league. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like it is a very different golf course than what these guys are playing. And I don't think you'll realize how good these golfers are until you see them in person. When they hit a shot, it just sounds so different. It's a really like heavy, deep sound. Mine sounds like like a like a ting, like, like a high-pitched ting. And there's like this deep, heavy, uh, solid hit. And they all hit it so straight and so solid. It's incredible. So if you haven't been to a PGA Tour tournament or even an LPGA tournament, you have to go and watch them and stand close to them as they're hitting so you can just hear that sound because it's something like you've never heard before. I like I, I've never heard that sound until you go with the pros and you're like, that is what it's actually supposed to sound like. That is how I'm supposed to hit it. Um, but it was cool to see them play. And also just to be at a tournament again. I haven't been at a tournament in a while. I was at the Waste Management, but that still felt a little weird and off because... Again, it was just still kind of early in the year. You didn't know anything, but this one felt more relaxed and fun, and it was really special. So, again, on Thursday, I was there. Wow, I just – I was talking about Thursday. I just went all the way back. <laughs> We're back on Thursday now. Hopefully, you guys can keep up with me. <laughs> on Thursday, I took over the PointsBet Instagram account, and so I was talking about the struggles that I have creating content with sports betting because again it's still so new and there's so many rules around it and people don't know really quite how to approach it and so I couldn't film or record any of the players any of their shots the course nothing like that because when people are betting they're betting on everything and so if I put a video up of someone hitting a fairway before it is posted anywhere or on live TV, that is knowledge that someone will have. And so they could quickly place a bet, especially on PointsBet because it's the fastest app ever. (laughs) You could place a bet and they could win that money because they saw what I posted before uh, it's recorded anywhere else, which is so crazy to think about. So I had to get really creative on that Thursday day, but it was really fun because I approached it as if it was my first time at a golf tournament. And so I'm going to give you guys a couple of my tips. So if you get to go to a golf tournament this this year, this is what I love to do. So as soon as you get on property, definitely get a course map and get the tee times. It's important to know, one, where you're going because golf courses are very confusing, especially at tournaments because it's roped down. There's people. It just looks very different. So get a course map. They have them everywhere. And get a pairing sheet. You want a pairing sheet because you need to know when the guys are playing and at what time. You can look at this the night before, but if you don't want to do that, they will have pairing sheets 
on property for you and you can find out whoever you want to go watch. Next, what you guys do is you go to the driving range and you sit and watch the guys on the driving range. So underrated. This is the best spot at all the events. You get to see all of the players because they just line up and you can always time it out too so you can watch your favorite player warm up and have them go through their whole practice routine. If you're going to a tournament to learn, this is where you're going to learn the most because you get to see their entire practice routine and how deliberate they are and what they're doing. And you can actually turn their warm-up routine into your practice routine. I think a lot of people, when they practice, it's quantity over quality, but it needs to be quality over quantity. And you'll see that with these guys when they're warming up, they'll always chip and putt. Most of the guys will chip first, hit golf balls, putt, or putt, hit golf balls, chip, or putt, chip. But they always do one of those two things first. Not a lot of the guys go to the driving range first. And that's one thing you all need to learn. Listen to me. I'm going to say this one more time. I'm going to repeat it. Chip and putt first. Put your emphasis on your chipping and putting. It's the most important part of your game. And then you go hit shots. Got it? You following? You got it, guys? Okay. (laughs) Write it down. Remember it. You want to get better. Chip and putt. Chip and putt. That's all you need to do. So when you're watching them on the driving range, watch how deliberate they are. All of the guys will have a stick down. They have a stick down to work on their alignment. So they know exactly where they're going at all times. If they pull the stick out, you'll see one thing. They will do their full routine. No guy will just take their stick out and just start hitting shots without any direction or any purpose. We need to learn that. Remember that. That's very important. Always have a purpose with every shot that you're hitting. Either you're working on tempo, you have a shot in mind, you're thinking of something, but you should always have something in your mind that you're trying to accomplish when you're over the golf ball or going through your routine. You'll also notice they don't hit a ton of golf balls. And this varies. Some guys like to practice a lot with Bryson DeChambeau. He loves being out there for a really long time. Some guys have shorter routines. But find a routine that works for you, and you'll see that you don't have to be out there five, six, seven hours a day to get better. Most of these guys will only do a very short warm-up when they're going out to a tournament. I would say in total, most of the time, it's between an hour and an hour and 30 minutes is their total warm-up time before they go out. And that's what you guys could use for your practice time. You don't have to spend a ton of time hitting golf balls or wasting time practicing. If you're smart and deliberate, it can be shorter. They will work from low to high. So they'll hit wedges first, and then they will go through their bags. Usually people will do alternating irons. So they'll do either odd or even numbers. I like to do odd, so I'll go nine, seven, five, because I struggle with my five iron. You can always do even numbers, whatever it may be, but most people will skip um, every other. And then they'll go hybrids, woods, long irons, whatever it may be. And then they'll go back to their driver. All of these guys have pretty much the exact same routine. Try to implement this routine into your practice or your warm up. And I think you're going to see a massive difference. So you'll see all of this when you're sitting at a driving range. And again, it is so fascinating to watch these guys warm up and practice and also to see him hit bad shots. These guys are not perfect, and it's always reassuring to watch players hit bad shots. (laughs) It makes me feel so good when I see a pro hit a bad shot. I'm like, they're human. Thank goodness. We'll actually get into a bad shot, a very bad shot later on. I think you guys know what I'm getting at, but it's it's interesting to see how many bad shots they actually do hit on the driving range, and it's going to make you feel so much better about yourself. So... That was a very long explanation of why you should go sit at a driving range. But in short, it's just really fun to see all of these guys hitting. And it's the one place where you don't have to move or walk or there's no one in front of you. You can just sit there and watch, you know, 30 guys just bang balls and it's the best. Next tip. If there's a ton of people on the golf course, which is going to be happening again soon, go to the farthest edge of the course and camp out at one spot. I like to camp out on tee shots. 
So I will go to the farthest end and I will sit at either right behind them so I can see their ball flight or right in front of them because I like to see their swing. You will see all of the best players come through or anyone you want to see, but you got to see them really close. Sometimes if you're following a very popular group, you're running around the entire time to try to get a good vantage point and you're never going to. And you just see one shot maybe and it's it's hard. When you're sitting at a tee, at a tee box and there's no one around you, you are so close to these players. They have the ropes really close and it's fun to see. It's fun to see them hit drivers because, again, it goes back to what I was saying originally where it sounds so different when they hit drivers to when we hit drivers, and it's so cool. And you'll get to see so many different players come through. It's the best. So go somewhere far away and camp out there. Or you could just go really early in the morning and sit on 18 because it's always fun to see people finish off their rounds, especially on a Sunday. Next tip, wear very comfortable shoes. I am not a fan of people wearing golf shoes on the golf course when they're just walking for a tournament. But, 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 if it is pouring out or really wet, wear your golf shoes because they're waterproof and it's going to save you big time. If you're wearing some like mesh Nikes, those fly knits, your feet are not going to be feeling good. So even though it's a little nerdy, wear golf shoes when you know it's going to be wet outside. Always bring sunscreen. Always, always, always. A lot of people forget this and they get super burnt. <laughs> bring your sunglasses, bring your hat. Also important. You do not have to wear golf clothes at a golf tournament. I see a lot of people literally showing up in a full golf outfit. If you want to do that, no judgment, but you don't have to. I think people feel like when they're going to a golf tournament, they have to dress appropriately. I would say the only course that you would have to do that and where most people do tend to lean more conservative is at Augusta. But besides that, you can wear whatever you feel most comfortable in. You could wear a tank top. Like you could literally wear anything you want in a golf tournament. Sometimes wearing athletic wear is more comfortable. And I like to wear athletic wear when I go to golf tournaments because next rule is you're walking so much. Be prepared to walk. I think a lot of people don't realize how much you walk and you're actually walking more than you would when you're just playing a round of 18 because you're walking back and forth to different groups and crossing golf courses and going, you know, to one end, back to the other. And it ends up being so much walking. So prepare yourself for that and goes back to comfortable shoes. Even if you want to wear something that's not golfy, comfortable shoes are the most important thing. The last thing is just have so much fun. Going to golf tournaments is my favorite thing in the entire world. It was so much fun to be out there on Thursday and especially with having fans back. And it was my first time at the U.S. Open. I've only been to uh, two majors now. So the Masters, I've been there twice. And this is my very first U.S. Open for the men. I went to the Women's Open. Again, I said all this last episode, but a few are now just tuning in. Um, it was really, really cool, special, and so much fun. So please, guys, make an effort to go out to a golf event. If you've never had, you really, really need to. You can bring your family. They have so many fun activities there. It's not just golf. They make it like a fan experience, and there's always like an area called basically the fan experience where you can sit down, get food, um, usually have like TVs, and so you can bring your kids, you bring your wife, your significant other. Um, it's really for everyone, and they make it fun. So don't feel like you have to just go alone or with your buddies. You can bring your family and make it into a really fun outing. So let's just, those are all my tips. I hope you enjoyed. <laughs> Moving on, though, to the actual tournament, because it was a wild tournament. I think it was one of my favorite U.S. Opens that I have watched in a long time. And it had some big shoes to fill, because if you remember, the last time the U.S. Open was at Torrey Pines, that is when Tiger Woods and Rocco Mediate had that incredible playoff, and Tiger made that putt to get into the playoff. And Tiger was playing basically on a broken leg. So that was one for the ages. Like that was one of the best US, U.S. Opens of all time. And so I think there were some high expectations going into this one. And it definitely lived up to it. It was an amazing venue. I love Torrey Pines. Beautiful golf course. There was drama, meltdowns. Um, our 
eventual champion. And so let's just get right into that. When the tournament started, I one thing I do want to talk about is I really wish that Bryson and Brooks were paired together in the first two rounds. And I know a lot of people probably have a difference in opinion on this. I know most people will say, well, let's not make it into a circus show and people, they're just there to play golf and it's unfair to Bryson. But I thought that the USGA missed the mark and they should have paired them together. There was news that they asked Bryson if they could and Bryson declined. I don't know if that is true or false, but I will say that it was it was a missed opportunity. If we want to grow the game, we want to get more people into I think so many people would have tuned in, golf fans or not, just to see, just to watch. And that would have been really interesting for people who have maybe never watched golf before to finally watch golf. And that would have been such an amazing opportunity for them to, as we always say, quote, and quote, grow the game. Like, let's grow the game, let's grow the game, and then let's never do anything to actually grow the game. And I know, again, people who love golf and play all the time and are integrated into the golf community will definitely disagree with this. But as someone who wants to see golf grow outside to different demographics, this would have helped. But they didn't get paired together, which was a bummer. They almost ended up getting paired after Saturday's round because they were both tied at or after Friday's round, sorry, to play Saturday, and they were almost played together, but they did not. (sighs) Bryson, though, since we're on the topic of Bryson, he had a full-on meltdown. A meltdown. He was leading the U.S. Open, making the turn, and he shot Eight over on the back nine. Just let that sink in. Eight over par. He had a snowman on his cart. (laughs) That shouldn't happen. That doesn't happen. I will say, I know a lot of people think that I'm a Bryson hater. I am not a Bryson hater. I said some things about Bryson when he was acting up, being a little bit of a jerk, Called him out on it. But since then, I haven't had a problem with Bryson. He is fun to talk about. At times, he is fun to hate on. He is an easy joke. And most of the time when I'm messing around with it, it's a bit. I am not serious about it. I'm sarcastic. And I want to make that clear because I think it is getting to the point where people think I really dislike him. And that's not the type of person that I am. I never want to seem hateful towards someone else. It's all in good fun. And maybe I've crossed the line here or there. But I've just tried to do it in a very humorous re- humorous way. And watching Bryson melt down on the back nine really broke my heart. He looked like he was about to cry on number 18. And I know a lot of you guys are going to say, well, it's Bryson, it's karma, he deserves it, whatever it may be. And regardless of your opinion on Bryson DeChambeau, we have all been in that position. Maybe not in the US Open when you're leading, you're going to lose millions and millions of dollars. But (laughs) we've all been on the golf course where it feels good and all of a sudden, It just takes a turn for the worst. And you know that feeling. You feel lost. You feel helpless. You feel like you want to crawl up in a ball and just die and cry. It is the worst feeling. You want to quit. You want to throw your clubs. It's just a shot to the ego. There's just something about golf that really fucks you up. And I felt for Bryson in that moment, especially on 18, where he looked like he was going to cry. I never, ever want anyone to feel that way or go through that because it's horrible. It is truly horrible. I can think back on multiple times in my career where I just spent the night crying because of how bad I played. And those were the worst nights of my career and Some of the worst nights I have had, again, there's just something about golf that just makes you feel like a piece of shit, like a piece of garbage. 
And like I said, it just fucks you up. And I, I feel so bad for him. I think that he will bounce back, but they announced recently that they're going to ban green reading books, which is not great news for Bryson because he relies so heavily on his greens book. And I wonder how that's going to affect him moving on in other tournaments. When that news came out, I thought that if Bryson was going to win this event, which it looked like he was going to, that this might be one of the last events that he wins for a while because he's going. it's going to take him a while to get used to not having a greens book. Again, he uses it all the time. He needs it. And putting is all about confidence. And if you have something that you're not confident about. And I think the book gave him that reassurance that he was right, especially because he does everything by the numbers. And so if he knew for a fact that the book was saying that that's where it was breaking, then he had that confidence. And it's going to take him a while to play without that and to read the greens on your own and trust that you're right and that you know what you're doing. But... (laughs) That was that's how that's how I was thinking about it before uh, he melted down. I think that this is going to this one's going to sting for a little bit. I think this is going to take a while for him to get over, and maybe not. And I think this is something that makes Bryson so unique is that people talk so much shit about him and they say so many things about him, and he doesn't care like at all. And I admire that fact that he doesn't care and he does whatever he wants to do. And I almost think that that quality is going to really help him bounce back from what happened at the U S open. People like me who care so much about what everyone's saying and takes everything so personally and is so emotionally tied to everything that I do, something like that would really, really, really mess me up, and it would probably take me forever to bounce back from it. But someone like Bryson, who thinks very differently, maybe it, it won't affect him. I think time will tell when it comes to how this will all play out. I think something that also really helped is that there were so many other big storylines, and Louis Oosthuizen being the bigger meltdown when you actually think about it, that Bryson's not the biggest storyline that's also going to help him. I think if it was switched when, if Bryson pulled a Louie, I think that potentially could have been worse. I don't know what you guys think about that. So Louis Oosthuizen had the tournament. He ended up snap hooking it into a hazard on 17 and he made bogey. So he lost the tournament basically with that tee shot. There was so much room to the right, and he snapped it left into the ship. You don't know how many times I'm like, there are so there's so much room to the right, and I just hit that quick snap hook. And there's nothing worse, and you guys can back me up on this, than a quick snap hook. It is the worst feeling, and you can feel it halfway down, and you just you feel your hands turning over and your body stopping, and you're like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And it just goes, whoop. You just see the ball turn left, right on you, right off the club face, and it just sucks. It sucks. So you have to feel for Louie, but what was the bigger meltdown in your opinion? Do you think it was Bryson DeChambeau shooting eight over, or do you think it was Louis Oosthuizen hitting that shot on 17, or are they equally as bad? Uh, Let us know. Write in at PARIHeartRadio.com or send us a DM at the playing around Instagram account, because I would love to hear from you guys. Maybe I'll make a poll about it, because that one's very fascinating to me. I don't know which one could potentially be worse, because Bryson lost it early on, and it just continued to get bad. He was out of it already before he made the snowman, and Louis was in it till the very, very end, and then he hit that shot, so which is a worse choke? I almost think that Louis hitting that shot in 17 is worse than what Bryson DeChambeau did. I think Bryson... It started to go, and he just kind of let it go, and he couldn't pull it back. But Louis lost the tournament with one swing. And that's what makes golf so fucking annoying. <laughs> it's, that it's not like tennis where you miss a serve and you get another serve. Or you know, even in other team sports where you could you know miss a shot, unless it's obviously the very, very last shot. But you always have your teammates to back you up. Or you can always go back and be like, yes, maybe I missed that shot. Or in football, the thing that is probably closest to what Louis did is like missing a field goal to win 
the game. But the difference is, like, you can go back and you can blame it on pretty much anyone for getting a foul or whatever it may be. But with golf, you can only blame yourself and you can't be taken out and you don't get another shot. And that I think about that too much. And that is why I never played well professionally, because in the back of my mind, I was like, I only have one shot. Don't fuck it up. (laughs) And I guess what I would do, I'd pull a Louie and just snap hook it in the shit. But um, I think what Louis did was potentially worse because, again, he just had one swing. He had so much room to bail out on the right, and he didn't do it. But that opened the stage for John Rahm to win the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. What a great story. I think everyone was rooting for John Rahm, especially after what happened at the memorial where he had to withdraw uh, due to a positive COVID test. Again, there was a lot of mixed opinions on the situation, but I think the overwhelming consensus was that John Rahm was screwed out of the win because he was so far ahead. He was clearly going to win that tournament. I liked his statement after he had a good attitude about it, and coming into this tournament, I felt like John Rahm was the person to beat. He plays well at Tory. He had extra motivation from the mo- memorial, and I almost feel that Him having to quarantine was a really good thing because he could probably just, these guys, like, they have simulators in their house and, you know, full practice facilities. They could probably close the course down. So I'm sure he was still practicing and getting himself prepared. And I think that maybe that helped him. Sometimes if I take some time off or reset, that's the best thing I could possibly do instead of freaking out and, like, stress practicing. That's when I start to spiral. But, again, these guys are pros and professionals and not a crazy person like me. So who knows? <laughs> but I just felt like he had the right mindset going into this tournament. And he was just steady the entire time. He was never – he never did anything flashy or, you know – you almost didn't even think he was a favorite or in it until kind of the very end. He was very sneaky with how he moved himself up the leaderboard. He was always a name. People were always talking about him. But there were always bigger names or bigger storylines that people were ten- like tend to go towards. Like, Rory is always a big storyline, especially when he has a shot to win. People really love Rory and same. I think he's amazing. That Brooks, Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, that was a big storyline. We also had Bryson trying to get back-to-back. And so, yes, people were talking about John Rom, but maybe not as much as some other players out there. But that putt that John Rom hit on number 18 felt tigress to me. It felt like the 2008 U.S. Open at Torrey Pines when he snuck that putt in and that fist pump that he gave. And John Rom had almost like the same reaction. The crowd went crazy and it just felt so tiger-like. And I got chills. I don't know about you guys, but I got chills. John Rom has one of the best fist pumps in all of golf. There's nothing worse than when a guy looks nerdy when they're giving a fist pump. <laughs> and John Rom just looks so cool. I loved how he was holding his baby boy. He just was so, you can tell he loves him so much. And I felt like John Rom does have a different perspective. And people always talk about this where once you have kids, your outlook changes. And I don't have kids. <laughs> And um, I don't, I can't relate to that. I don't have any experience there. But just from the way he was talking and his uh, press conference after, he just seemed to have a different perspective. Maybe not as, John Rahm is known as being a hothead. I didn't really feel, he's definitely fiery, but I felt like he had it more controlled this week and just in general since having his child And very mature when answering all of the questions. He's just been handling everything so well. And I think people forget how young he still is. He's very young. And he's an incredible talent. And I think this win is going to open the floodgates for him. And he's just going to keep winning and winning. He has such a solid game. Like I said, he now with his mindset, I think people said that his attitude before held him back. He seems so confident so calm, so mature, and almost like a different person. So I'm excited to watch John Rom's future and everything that he's going to accomplish because it is truly spectacular. That leaderboard on Sunday was also spectacular. It was so much fun watching a tournament where you didn't know who was going to win. There's been so many tournaments lately where either 
I don't want to say, I'm going to say, a known name wins or someone where you're like a little disappointed where all of these guys that you're rooting for end up just not getting it done. And then you're happy for the person because they won, but it wasn't the person you're rooting for. I could have gone down the list so far and I was rooting for almost every single person on that list, even Bryson, because he was my outright. I picked him for my outright winner. So I want to be right about that. And it's cool to be a back-to-back US Open champion. But everyone on the leaderboard, I was rooting for in one way or another. And it made it so exciting, even until the very last shot. Going back to Louis, should he have laid up on number 18? He drove it into the rough. Number 18 is a par 5. There's water in front of the green. He drove it into the rough. And he decided to lay up. He thought that was the best way for him to make an eagle was to hold out from, they said he had 69 yards in, which was, a it's weird yardage because it's not quite a full swing and you kind of have to chip it, especially where the pin was. If I was going to lay up, I would have laid up, I would have laid back a little bit farther than he did, but I would have gone for it. I think he should have gone for it. I don't know that that was the right move. I feel that he would have had a better opportunity to make birdie or make eagle if he went for it. I think the odds were just as good if he would have gone for it compared to if he laid up. I almost feel like maybe it would have been harder for him to hold a shot from 70 yards compared to trying to get it over the water from 230. Again, what do you guys think? Because I'm really curious on your opinion there, but I think he should have have gone for it. Not not the best move. I mean, I see guys all the time. They're like 320 out on a par five and, and they only hit their drive like 250. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go for it. I can get there. I just wish he had I wish he had the, the guts to uh, give it a go. But Paul Azinger said that that was the way to go. Paul Azinger is kind of grumpy on the on the on the, the commentary. He was a little grumpy. I don't know what his deal was. He just did not seem very happy to be there. It was very interesting. I I wish he gave a little bit more. Wasn't the biggest fan of him. But, uh, oh, well, moving on. (laughs) All in all, though, I think it was a really, really great U.S. Open. And uh, it was so much fun to watch. So much fun to watch. The majors this year have been so good. I think it has to do with the fans being back and that energy. That makes a massive difference. I loved watching tournaments without fans in the beginning because you could really see the golf course, but it got old quickly. And to hear the cheers, to hear the, the, oh, and the, <laughs> the, you know, boos and the, the, the yells and even the yelling mashed potatoes, as stupid as it is, you do miss it when you don't have it. And that was just something that, again, it, you felt that energy, which I think is much needed for golf. So, yeah, fun little U.S. Open we had, guys. Fun little one. (laughs) So let's get into TNA to wrap this episode up. So this question says, how much time does it take to curate a new IG post or YouTube video? Uh, (laughs) More time than you would think. So it takes me a long time to get ready to do hair and makeup. I definitely do my hair and makeup differently when I'm going to do um, either points bet posts or YouTube videos or any of my main Instagram posts. You have to wear more makeup than you normally would be on camera because it just doesn't show up as well. So it takes me a little longer to do my hair, a little bit longer to do my makeup. And then from there, picking the outfit is also a big deal. I know you guys are going to laugh, but I do a golf swing. It's golf. Golf is boring. And so what do you do to make golf more interesting? I do it by fashion, by what I wear. If I can wear something that is interesting to look at or is unique or colorful or whatever it may be, you guys are going to tune in to look at my outfit because it's interesting. And it makes a golf swing more interesting when you have something else that can draw attention to it. So finding outfits and what I'm wearing takes the longest most of the time, because again, I want it to be perfect. There's a certain vibe or style that I'm going for, and it's hard to find that perfectly right away. And it takes time to, again, find the perfect look for every single post. And 
once I wear that outfit once, it's hard. I don't can't wear it again or I have to wait a while before I do wear it again. So I have to be very creative with all my clothes. <laughs> then coming up with the idea, I look at a bunch of different factors. Do I want to do a video or do I want to do a picture? It also depends on the product or the, the uh, company or partner that I'm working with or promoting at the time that also determines if I'm going to do a video or a picture. Some things just work better with a video, whether it be golf-related like training aids or clubs or anything that really has to do with golf. I'll tend to lean more towards a video. Videos are just more fun. I do prefer videos over pictures. Um, pictures are good too, though, but it's hard, again, to make things interesting or different. And I think that's something that I have been struggling with recently because I've been doing this for a long time and it is golf. There's only so many poses and locations and different things that you can do. And so I think at times my Instagram can look a little bit repetitive because it's always so difficult to be creative across all of the platforms. So there's TikTok, there's YouTube, there's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's Facebook. And I try to not put the same thing on all of the platforms. I try to make it a little bit different for every single platform. So that is also difficult too. But with the pictures right now, I'm struggling with like different poses or, you know, different lighting or anything to make it unique and not look like everything else I've ever done. So that is probably the most difficult part is to continue to be creative when it's the same thing over and over again. It's not like fashion or makeup where that's really easy to do something different because, again, it goes back to like what you're wearing and that vibe will change. And so you have different settings and different poses and a whole picture could look completely different based off of what you're wearing. And even though I tried to mix up with my fashion, it's still for the most part like athletic wear or golf wear. I really can't be too creative with it. So that's difficult. I would say YouTube is the easiest and fastest for me to come up with ideas. Mostly it's around golf instruction or playing different golf courses. And that's fun because every single time I go and play, I have different shots. Nothing is ever the same. And so I could play the same course 20 different times and you will have 20 completely different videos based off of the shots that I'm hitting. So that's really fun. Also, I can just go to different golf courses, mix up the backgrounds, what I want to talk about. There's so much to talk about with golf instruction. So I would say YouTube is probably my easiest and The one I'm less worried about, I'm very protective over my Instagram because I have, I'm the only person who has ever touched my account. I never take anyone else's advice when it comes to what I post or what I do. No one has my login information. Like I am the only one who has ever posted on that account. I do all of my captions, all the posting, all of the, you know, filtering, whatever. I'm the only person who doesn't. I respond to all of the messages, the DMs. And so that is my baby. And I've built that from nothing to, you know, over 3 million followers. And I think at times there are things that I want to post maybe on Instagram, but I know how it's going to do. And I, I don't want it maybe to fall flat. And so I, I tend to not go out of my comfort zone on Instagram, which I know I need to do a better job of that. But for like TikTok and YouTube, I care a little less about trying new things because they are smaller platforms than you than Instagram, which is my biggest platform. And so I think sometimes that's why the YouTube videos are a little bit better because I try fitness, I try different things, different formats, Q and A's, anything like that. And it's also easier with long form content compared to short form. With an Instagram video, I can't do a 10 minute video. It just doesn't work that well on that platform. It works better on YouTube. And I feel like that's where my personality can come out. And I really shine there with Instagram. That's a little harder. But again, long response to an answer. Short responses. It takes a lot of time. It's very difficult. And it's harder than people would think. And that's why there's good influencers and there's bad influencers. I think people hear the word influencer and they're like, oh, everyone must be a good influencer. And that's not really true. And most people actually lie about how many followers they have. They're buying followers. They're buying likes. They're buying engagement. And that's not good (laughs) at all. Like there 
They're good influencers, bad influencers. I pride myself on being a good one who who really loves my followers and the community that I've built, and I'm very passionate about it. Next question. Someone said, I understand that you're very big into club fitting. That's actually the career that I'm striving towards. That's awesome, Erin. Congrats. From your experience, what is it you look for in a good, great fitter, and what are some red flags to determine a bad one? So I have been in plenty of fittings throughout my golf career. From junior golf, I've been to different club fitting companies. I have done them outside, inside. I've worked with club fitters who fit people like Phil Mickelson, um, the best club fitters in the world. So I feel like I have a lot of experience when it comes to working with club fitters. I would say what makes a great club fitter, and this actually goes hand in hand with what a red flag is, is you're going to get your clubs fit. You're not going to get your swing fixed. The worst club fittings that I have had is when maybe I'm not hitting it all that well and the club fitter tries to change my swing instead of fitting the club to my swing. So I remember I was at one club fitting and I was coming a little over the top on it. I was struggling with my swing at the time, but I wasn't hitting it that bad and I was hitting a fade and he kept trying to make me come under it and we spent the whole time basically trying to fix my swing and he fit me into a club that wasn't that good because it didn't fit my current swing, and I I didn't have enough time because I was playing full-time then to fix it. And so I had this club that didn't end up working for me. It worked for this swing that I don't have. And I see that all the time when club fitters start to fix your swing, walk out. Literally stop it and say no. And also this is on you guys getting fitting. Don't ask for swing tips or swing advice. If you're hitting it bad, that's actually better because they're going to find clubs that are going to make you hit it better when you're not hitting it well. That's all you want. And so when I'm hitting it bad, I own up to it. I'm like, I am not hitting it well. Let's get me some clubs that's going to make my bad just a little bit better. And that makes a big difference. So again, if a club fitter is trying to fix your swing, tell them, absolutely not. I don't want you to fix my swing. This is my swing. And if they are a good enough club fitter, they will fit a club to your current swing. That's the big thing. Another thing that makes a good club fitter is patience and being very calm. I think that it's difficult for club fitters because they obviously know what's best, but when it comes to club fitting, and this is what I struggle with, I know why I like something and I know why I don't like something, but I I don't always know why. And so if a club just feels off to me, I can never vocalize why it feels off. Some people can. Some people are so in tuned with the equipment that they either don't like the sound or the way that it's set up or the shaft or it's closed or open. I can't. I just know if I like it or I don't like it. And that gives my club fitters kind of a struggle because they'll give me a club and they're like, what do you not like about it? I go, I don't know. I just don't like it. <laughs> I don't fix it. I don't know. I I don't like it. And so the good club fitters that I've had go, okay. And then they just try something new and it's trial and error. Bad club fitters that I've had get almost frustrated with me and they're like, what don't you like? And they like make me feel bad. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't like it. And so patience is a really great attribute to a club fitter. Another good attribute is making your customer feel valued and important. Again, I've had times where I wasn't hitting it well and all I wanted was just a little confidence booster. You know, like if I had a really good shot, I'd love for my club fair to be like, that was an awesome shot. Like hype me up. Like I need that. I need that confidence booster, especially towards the end of a fitting. When you're hitting for such a long time, you get a little tired. I love when the club fitter makes me feel good about myself. (laughs) Maybe these are just all too personal. (laughs) And I people were like, no, I don't want that. But that makes me feel good. And I've been like bad club fittings where they don't say anything, even with the good shot. I'm like, oh, that was a good one. And they're almost like, yeah, finally. And no, I'm like, I want you to be like, yeah, that was a great one. So those are some of the things that I love in club fitter. But the biggest red flag is never try to fix someone's swing. That is the easiest way to lose a club fitting and for you to get nothing done. So I wish you well, Erin, and your 
um, journey to become a club fitter. It's so much fun. You're going to get to work with so many very interesting people and learning all the brands. Uh, it's, it's one thing that I find very fascinating is just all the different equipment. And if you guys want to get fit, go check out Club Champion. They are the best club fitting service that I have ever tried. And they're incredible. So if you're interested in getting fit, go to Club Champion. So that's going to wrap up today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. I always have a good time talking to you guys. It's always so much fun. I feel like try to envision you in front of me and like we're having a little conversation. <laughs> uh, so again, thanks always for supporting and listening. And uh, you're seriously the best. If you want to leave a five-star review or write a nice review, more than welcome to. Really appreciate that. <laughs> Tell your friends to listen and subscribe and Let's like move up the charts. You know, there's so many golf podcasts out there. Let's let's try to keep moving up um, and making this even better. So again, you guys are the best. I love you and I'll catch you here again soon. Bye. Follow Playing Around with Paige Renee on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Tired of pickup truck bed chaos? Meet Decked, game-changing USA-made full bed-length drawers for tools and gear. Waterproof, dustproof, lockable, secure. Whether you're working, hunting, fishing, camping, or just getting out of town. And introducing Decked Deco cases. Tough, modular, problem-solving cases built for the truck, job site, campsite, or garage. Say goodbye to random bins and tie-downs. Order now at Decked.com slash iHeart for free shipping. Decked, your truck, your rules. Decked.com forward slash iHeart. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.